Days are getting shorter, people. Friday, June 23rd, 11 a.m. on the East Coast. That means it's like 8 a.m. or something out west. People haven't even woke up yet. Uh, special edition of Market Call. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan. In just a minute, we'll be joined by Travis McGee, my dear friend Travis, of probably, I want to say, 16, 17 years-ish. Uh, head of Derivatives North America at Crypto.com. Huge job. He'll be joining us, given what's going on with Bitcoin at all. We thought it'd be a great day to have him on. Today's episode, Dan, brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics, of course, powered by tomorrow. Uh, you're probably powered by a, a big Thursday night dinner that you typically go on at, what oh. do they call that place, like Port Steak or Port oh, Charles or Port, Port Charles? Charles or... Yeah, so we're squeaking, we're squeaking one in here, guy, on a Friday. We don't normally do market call Fridays, but we thought this was kind of interesting week in the markets. We also saw what was going on in crypto this week um, was probably worth our time to kind of break down a little bit. And like you said, uh, our friend Travis here is going to join us in just a few minutes. But guy, let, let's hit the markets here because, you know, we spent some time last week talking about, you know, the potential for a kind of quarter end mark, right, mm -hmm. into the month end. It's been a, a heck of a, a year, I, I would say, at least for the NASDAQ. Um, and the S&P is, what, up 13.5% um, or so on the year. But how do these marks usually work? Like from your, you know, recollection in, in a way, especially, you know, on, on months or quarters where there's not a whole heck of a lot going on. It's not like that likely to see that sort of stuff, but in a period like we've just been in right now where so many folks were on the other side of it, right? Sometimes you could have that pain trade would be just a market right, right up into the quarter end. Right? And that could still happen next week. Obviously next week being a full week, um, a lot, well, you know, a lot could happen over the course of what, what will start to be pretty quiet, summer days so we'll see obviously the last few trading sessions have not been particularly good yesterday notwithstanding we'll see how the day shakes out so you know as the as the week progresses next week you could see this levitation in individual stocks in the broader market we'll see that obviously is going to be um basically flying the face or combated by some of the headwinds that we've been talking about for a while so it's going to be a bit of a tug of war for sure we'll see how it shakes out but historically month end quarter ends you know yeah. left to their own devices market participants are going to want things to close higher yeah well and i guess it goes back to some of the the big names right so on a day like today you know we, we talked about tesla yesterday two consecutive downgrades barclays and then morgan stanley and down today you know three percent or so nvidia um, another one down one and a half percent so I, I i thought it was interesting guy how quickly some of those um mega cap tech names uh, away from the two we just mentioned the microsoft the apple uh, Google, Amazon, how they bounced back yesterday. Amazon was up four mm -hmm. percent. Um, you know that was leading the gains in the Nasdaq up one and a quarter percent. And we've also noticed this this kind of trend is that even on red mornings, like when we look at our fact set machine and we see just a, a, a sea of red, usually by the afternoon we're seeing a lot more green, right? Yep. We're seeing That's like these the 20, 30, 30 day, you know, thirty handle rallies from the morning lows, that sort of thing. So um, again, it's been, I think maybe um, a decent trading market for bulls. It's been a very frustrating ones uh, for those looking to, to kind of pick tops here, wouldn't you say? I would, and you know, I wanna point something else out and I know you're gonna talk about this and I don't wanna make a huge deal out of it yet, but you know, the banks obviously for the last week haven't been trading particularly well. We talked about it on market call yesterday. JP Morgan now flirting with this 138 level, which I think is pretty important. We'll see Doug Cass sent me an email earlier flagging that level. But, 
you know, the banks don't trade well, probably correctly so, given all the headwinds out there that they face, more regulation, probably higher capital uh, requirements that they need, all the different things. And oh, by the way, a slowing economy. The other thing I want to talk about quickly is the HYG. Again, I'm not advocating for people to trade this at all. That's not my point in bringing it up. But if you look at it sort of flirting with 74, we topped out probably a little bit north of 77 in February and it's sort of been grinding sideways to lower since. I only bring that up because, you know, my concern, unfounded, by the way, for the longest period of time has been what's going to happen on the credit side of things. So I encourage people to sort of watch that as a gauge. But, you know, to your point, we'll see Friday, 11 o'clock here. We'll see how the day ends. Um, yeah. Historically, they sort of ramp things up into the close. The VIX still is nowhere. I mean, the VIX is still below 13, which is fascinating. We've tried to address that. But here we are. But it is, I think... A pretty interesting day. A lot of cross currents today in the market, Dan. Yeah, and to your your point about credit and why you bring up the high yield, you know, we keep you know hearing that what happened right as far as March and, and the, the regional bank failures, you know, that was an issue of you know liquidity, which was uh, upmatched and backstop, right, for the most part. But on the other side of that is you know uh, potential credit events, and and we keep going back to commercial real estate. Um, we know that a lot of that debt is, is on the balance sheets of a lot of regional banks, right? And so a Bloomberg article this morning, this is the big take, the world's empty office buildings have become a debt time bomb. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's a theme that I think, you know, you, you're just going to want to pay attention to because you're seeing some of these large REITs just kind of turn the keys into some big buildings. This back to office thing or back to work thing is not going as smoothly as planned. And then when you think about the thing that has the market so excited is all of this potential productivity gains from all of these um, generative AI and large language models and the way they're going to be integrated into, you know, and commercialized where a lot of businesses are going to be kind of employing these sorts of um, products. Well, that might actually further spur this kind of, you know, work from home, remote working sort of thing at a time where every headline I, I see about large, you know, companies here in America, they want their workers back in the office right now, guy. They don't think they're being particularly productive outside the office anymore. So, it's kind of an interesting, you know, push and pull that we have here. And that's one that's likely to play out because, again, we've seen it, you know, out in Silicon Valley where, you know, I mean, listen, some of these REITs are just kind of handing the keys back to the banks. Mm -hmm. I want to play tight end for the Giants. It's not going to happen either. You know, and if, if the COVID thing had lasted for a couple months, you know, maybe we could have put that work in the office genie back in the bottle. But you know, a couple of years into this thing, I think the, the climate has changed. And I'm obviously employers want their people back. The question is, are they going to be able to do that? And I think your point about these office REITs and this space, I mean, that is absolutely out there. We've had Jonathan Litt on Fast Money a couple of times, who's been shorting commercial real estate successfully, by the way, and pointing out some of the um, still downside potential in so many of those spaces. And if you don't think the banks have some correlation to that space. You're just not paying attention. So yeah. look, the broader market has masked a lot of things. I get it. People don't want to talk about what can go wrong. I typically do because I think it does people a service to sort of point out some of the things that, you know, might present some problems and instead of sort of having the pom-poms out there every day. But here we are. Again, the HYG is worth looking at for sure. Clearly the relative underperformance of the banks recently is something to watch. That head and shoulders pattern in JP Morgan, by the way, over a five-year period, I don't know if we can pull a chart up real quick on the fly, Jacob, but 
You know, if you go back and look at a longer-term J.P. Morgan chart, you'll see the potential for this head and shoulders formation. And you know, the VIX. Somebody's asking questions about the VIX. Does it even portend anything anymore? I don't know. You know, I don't. I can't speak intelligently about the construct of the VIX. You know, we have pointed out the, the zero-day to expiry options clearly have mitigated something. They now represent, I think, north of fifty percent of the of the options volume out there, which is remarkable. You know, we pointed out that Larry McDonald article, I think two days or so ago, pointing out how it's not imminent, but everything that's going on is sort of a bit of a powder keg here. You know, we'll see how it plays out. Again, at a 4,400 S&P, nobody seems to want to care. Yeah, well, you know, again, I would also mention that the SM, or the VIX, uh, which obviously, you know, tracks the volatility on the S&P 500 index, is back at levels, what, February 2020, right? And so, I mean, can we go lower and can we bounce along the bottom here? No, no doubt about it. But if you look at the S&P 500, you know, we, we had that breakout above those August 2022 highs. That was kind of the target. We had that tight consolidation with 4,200 in April and May being resistance. We got through there. It, it, it felt like a near parabolic move. Um, I know that there was a lot of talk about the breadth widening out away from um, some of those large mega cap tech stocks. But again, to your point about financials, you're, you know, we can throw energy in there. We'll, we're going to look at crude a little later. I mean, the two um, areas of the market that I would think that give us the best read on the health of the economy act very poorly relative to the ones that are trading at very high uh, valuations that have drived a lot of the performance of the S&P and the NASDAQ. And, Guy, I just I don't know how we don't get back to the Feb second high of 4,200 in the not-so-distant future. You see that 200-day moving average kind of, you know, just kind of flatlining over there. I think that would be a very healthy thing, especially if you're bullish. Like the idea that we come in 3 or 4% and take out a little of the euphoria. And then if we just look at the NASDAQ 100 really quickly, Guy, I mean, this one just went absolutely parabolic mm -hmm. and, and unchecked. It just seems like a very dangerous sort of setup because I'm in the camp that the stocks that are driving the NDX, and we know that seven of them make up $10 trillion in market cap and more than 50% of the weight of this index of 100 stocks, unchecked, the higher we go, the higher, uh, the harder we fall. Yeah, that's the irony of the entire thing. I think if you're bullish, you want to see some of the things we've been talking about in terms of these pullbacks to certain levels. If you're bearish, counterintuitively, I think you want to see this market continue to sort of grind higher, suck everybody in and have that inevitable drop. So that's the push me pull you. You know, we get a lot of comments. I think this is what, and I appreciate this, by the way, Griffin. So Griffin Keenan says, you're helping me change my life and my family's life for the better. I appreciate that. Look, we do our best for sure. And we try to sort of steer people as to some of the things that they should be watching below the surface. So that's kind of you to say. I think it's the time that we bring in our man, uh, Travis McGee, Dan, if, if you're so inclined. 100%. Travis, welcome to Market Call. Gentlemen, I could not think of a better way to spend my Friday. Oh, stop it. I mean, that's complete, <laughs> that's complete nonsense. So, so there's context here, and I think I started the show with it. I think, Travis, we've known each other for the better part of 15 years, if not yep. longer. So the folks at home understand, you know, Travis is a Marine. Travis is a father of three. He's a wonderful father. He's a great husband. He's involved in the community. And he happens to be a brilliant mind. We worked together uh, back in the day. Our paths have crossed a number of times mm -hmm. since then. And now Travis is head of derivatives North America for Crypto.com. And that is not nuanced, but it's important because it's a huge job. And it speaks to uh, the reason you guys at Crypto.com set it up that way. Maybe you can speak to that and we'll get a little more granular. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, um, you know, we 
to give you a little bit of background too. So I previously ran a, uh, what, what we would call it, you know, today a TradFi exchange. So we, we were very much focused on your more traditional markets. Um, and that company was called Nadex, the North American Derivatives Exchange. And uh, we'd been in operation for the better part of 13 plus years, CFTC regulated. We were acquired by Crypto.com March 1st of 2022. So we're now a little over a year uh, into the relationship. And I think the distinction is important. You know, we, we, we obviously have with Crypto.com, which I think a lot of people are familiar with, with uh, that enables and provides access to spot crypto. Uh, but Crypto.com Derivatives North America is our U.S. entity, uh, and we maintain that same uh, CFTC regulation that we had previously uh, with Nadex. So the products that we're offering here in the U.S., notably our derivative contracts, um, and right now we have derivative contracts on uh, Bitcoin uh, and Ethereum uh, and looking to offer more token access to more tokens here uh, very soon. Uh, but all of those contracts, uh, much like anything you would trade through the CME or the CBOE or ICE, you name it, uh, are CFTC regulated uh, products. So, you know, we we have that, um, you know, separation of church and state where our North American operation really is a standalone North American exchange with that U.S. regulation uh, that, you know, I think everybody wants mm -hmm. when trading in U.S. markets. So uh, that's a big deal to us. And and. Honestly, that's what in, you know, as we were going through the acquisition with crypto.com, that's really what excited me the most. And you, you, you learn a lot about people and due diligence as you, you talk through these deals and you meet the folks at crypto.com uh, and, and the way they do business and, and compliance and regulation really is a front site focus for them. And you see that, you know, with a lot of the licenses that, you know, just yesterday we attain, obtained another license in Spain. Uh, and we continue to work with regulators across the globe to, you know, to acquire more licenses and just make sure we're doing things the right way. Yeah. Hey, well, Travis, and, and, and you know, I've gotten to know you over the last few years um, through Guy. And, and I got to give you guys a shout out at Nadex. You were one of our very first sponsors when Guy and I started right. doing the predecessor of Market Call. It was the macro setup. And we really appreciate you guys believing in us at the time and the collaboration um has uh you know it, it's look, look at this look look where we are here big so um so we got that going for us which is nice um guy and i you know we we really um as you know we are kind of crypto curious um mm -hmm. you know I, i've been a crypto tourist in different um parts of this kind of last five or six years as it really has become i think a macro risk asset i think that's probably the best way i know that there's been you know like fits and starts as it relates to web three and nfts and 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 you know a whole host of other things but at the end of the day you know what i think people in our business really find fascinating is that there haven't been in our careers too many times where a brand new product can find its way into um you know the kind of financial markets ecosystem to the tune of let's say a trillion dollar market cap which is really where it is right now and then when you think about a company like crypto.com buying nadex and buying a derivatives exchange and you think of all of the the derivatives that are traded on these products right and then you think of the infrastructure that's being created not just obviously for retail investors, but for institutional um, investors, right? To be able to kind of view this and 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 use crypto as a, a, a macro risk asset. So talk to us a little bit about what the heck went on this week because, you know, Bitcoin started trading. We'll just 
talk about Bitcoin, you know, started trading the way a lot of people who are very familiar with the product thought that it should have when the regional banking crisis took hold, right? And we saw the dollar started coming in a little bit and, you know, we saw just Bitcoin just surge, right? So the last couple months, it's come in off of those recent highs or so. But what happened this week where we've had this kind of 25% plus move in absolutely a straight line trading very near now, 52-week highs? Give our give our listener, our viewer, a sense of what you think went on here with um, BlackRock filing for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, you you obviously uh, highlighted and surfaced a big a big catalyst uh, there with your last comment about BlackRock. Listen, I think end of day, um, you know, particularly as it pertains to crypto and the crypto, let's let's I mean, cryptocurrency uh, is it's a big world. There's a lot of intricacies that operate behind cryptocurrency. It's not just Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's not just Web3. It's not just NFT. I mean, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that make up the crypto space, um, you know, some of which will prevail, some of which may not prevail. But the, the, the core behind it and blockchain technology there, you know, there's something there. And I think people are people see that now there's there's obviously a lot of curiosity about what that means. And you can relate that back to like a lot of us that were trading in the latter part of the 90s and the early 2000s, um, you know, as with the dawn of the Internet and as things, uh, you know, started to find its footing, you know, some companies made it, some companies didn't. We obviously saw the tech crash in that early part of the 2000s. You know, it was a lot to sort through there and then things started to make more sense and we started to get more clarity as we moved along. And a lot of a lot of that clarity obviously comes with regulation. And that's a battle that we're all you know, listening to and keenly focused on right now here in the U.S. What what does regulation mean for cryptocurrency? What does regulation mean for Web3, so on and so forth? So that's something we're tro- still trying to sort out. And I think with with all of that, you you have a you, you have uncertainty. You have people really clamoring for, well, what does all of this mean and, and where does it go? Now, you have that on an individual basis. So, you know, individuals like us who just trade our own money and you know, decide, you know, do we want to engage in, in trading cryptocurrency or don't we? You know, we have our own questions, but just like we have questions, so do larger institutions, mm-hmm. the Black Rocks of the world, you know, Larry Fink, every, you know, the, the, the titans of TradFi and the, and the individuals who are in this day in, day out and have been so for the better part of their entire career, they have the same questions uh, that we have. So when you see someone like a Black Rock, make a statement like they did this week and say, we are going to move forward with a spot Bitcoin ETF. You kind of have to unpack that and back into the amount of due diligence that probably went into that decision. The amount of legal work that went into Mm -hmm. that decision, the amount of conversations they had with regulators to make that decision. And I think once you unpack that, it's natural that you have a, cat- a catalyst like we saw this week where Bitcoin is going to start to rally on the back of that because now you're starting to see the affirmation that you were desiring. You're starting to see real big players make a big step into the space, you know, and, and whether or not it's, it's a big step or not, you know, we don't know. But when you see the black rocks of the world say, hey, we're going to start playing in this space. We're going to move forward in the current regulatory climate 
and launch a spot Bitcoin ETF, um, that that's big. And to your point, you know, we saw a massive rally over the course of the last uh, six or so days in Bitcoin and, and, and a broad, you know, broad range of cryptocurrencies for that matter uh, on the back of that. So um, I think, again, you know, I, I can't predict the future and I certainly can't speak to what individual cryptocurrencies are going to do. But that's that's a big shot in the arm for mm-hmm. Bitcoin. It's validation is what it is when you have a, a, you know, an institution of that magnitude make those decisions. And you're right. I mean, they didn't wake up one morning and decide there was obviously a huge amount of thought and then process that went into this. And, you know, I I mentioned that I'm a huge fan of yours. I I consider you a dear friend. And I think obviously when Crypto.com made the decision to bring you in and put you in that seat, they made an incredibly smart one. Now I'm biased, but it doesn't mean I'm wrong. But with that, and everything that's gone on over the last couple of weeks, there are tremendous growth opportunities in North America. So maybe speak to some of your plans, because I think what you just talked about for the last few minutes opens a tremendous amount of doors for your growth plans here in the United North America in general. Yeah, without question. And that was a lot of that was, you know, part of the due diligence when we when we were looking at this partnership with Crypto.com. It's you know, we're not Crypto.com certainly didn't pull, you know, North American derivatives out of thin air. Right. So, you know, they're just like BlackRock. There's a lot of thought that goes into this. We don't just create products to simply create products. A lot of our business, no different than previous businesses that, you know, uh, Guy, you and I have been involved in in the brokerage space or the TradFi space. You know, you, you build products off customer demand. Customers ask for things and you provide access to that. So over the past five or so years, customers and retail clients have asked for access to spot crypto. And you've seen a you know, plethora of exchanges created, some good, some really bad, trying to create access to that product. In that same vein, you've also seen retail traders. And this is very similar, very, very similar guy to, and and Dan, you as well, to what we saw in the mid part of the 2000s with retail demand for equity options. It was, I mean, we had about a 10 year stretch where it was parabolic. And 15 or so years ago, that access to equity derivatives was very much an institutional game. And then you had a number of these online trading platforms that came on, lower commissions. They started providing access to to derivatives. And you saw the American public start trading derivatives on a a number of equities. And now it's it's pretty, pretty common. Right. Well, that that same you're seeing that same uh, story play out in the crypto space. You have a lot of, you know, a lot of clients, a lot of a lot of retail traders globally trading spot crypto. They're very comfortable with spot crypto now. Now they're seeking more. And the more that they're seeking is protection. And one thing that crypto has lacked over the past certainly five years, but uh, definitely the past two years as well during these volatile periods is regulated derivatives on top of that underlying cryptocurrency. Now you have it through you've had it you know for the better part of five years through the CME, uh, which is a larger player, and their contracts have historically until recently been very much institutional focus. You know most retail traders are not going to hedge a, a a small spot crypto position with a CME Bitcoin future. It, it just the capital it just doesn't make sense, right? So uh, having players like us come in, we we fill that void for that retail trader that is a mom and pop investor that isn't buying you know, 
15, 20, 30, 40, 100 Bitcoin at a time. You know, they're trading onesie twosies and they, they, they need that same access that a BlackRock needs to hedge that position. So I had, you, you had mentioned earlier the um, zero day options. Zero day options are all the rage now, right? It's just a, it's a cleaner hedge against your position versus using a quarterly expiring future or something of that nature, right? It's, it's just every single day, you know, the way we see volatility act now versus what we were seeing 15 years ago, it's almost instantaneous. You get these very sharp moves and zero day options provide a nice hedge against that. Um, Nadex, uh, I mean, we were really the home of zero day options. Uh, so our products uh, are very much our traditional finance, our TradFi products and our crypto products uh, are single day focused, right? So it allows that individual to come in uh, with capital efficiency, low dollar amount, and on a fully collateralized basis. So you can't trade on margin. So the most you can lose is what you put into the trade. It allows that retail trader to come in and hedge that position um, with uh, a small amount of capital uh, and provide, you know, enable those protections that they were lacking a couple years ago. So the demand for us, um, we create that product, the acquisition of Nadex, all of that is because of demand in the U.S. space for crypto derivatives. You've been on the forefront of a lot of these things, Travis, and you're clearly net as well in your seat. And it's amazing how, again, over the last couple of weeks, things are lining up perfectly, which is why we wanted to have you on. Before we wrap, a uh, couple of comments people are making. You got a lot of fancy degrees behind you. What do you got? What do you got going on behind oh. you there? Give me, give me the, oh, give me well, the that's when your wife, or four one one or whatever. They yeah, say. that's when your wife is much smarter than you are. So. <laughs> <laughs> and guy, you you know that one hundred. Believe me. So I do know yeah. That. So I get to use her office and pretend that I'm I'm the smart one. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, you know what somebody said is, you know, all those degrees are nice, but the most important degree you have is that of a, a again a United States Marine. And I, I think I can speak on behalf of Dan without question. We obviously thank you for your service, and we look forward to this relationship growing. We wanted to bring you on, chat about this on a Friday. The timing was good. Continued success, Travis. Uh, you know, again, you know what I think of you, and I wish you nothing but the best, Dan. You want to just sort of. Give yeah. us a close well, out here. Well, Trav, thanks for joining us. And, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, your description of the zero days to expiration options are, are, are really helpful because there's been a lot of back and forth about what that has meant for volatility, at least within the equity linked world or so. And, and it, I think your explanation is a really good one. It has been vol dampening, right? The ability for people yep. to basically hedge on a short-term basis. And then we see, you know, I don't know if you heard us talk about this, but we've seen some big moves right off of lows in a very bullish environment over the last few months or so when the market's red, we're seeing people, you know, bidding it up into the close. What is that? Well, that's kind of some gamma hedging, some delta hedging and, yeah. so, and stuff that you're obviously very familiar with. So I really appreciated that explanation. Travis, Thank you so much for dropping a lot of knowledge uh, about the current environment and what's going on this week and, and what you guys are doing and how you're playing um, in the ecosystem. So thanks a lot, man. Have a great weekend. Yep. Gentlemen, love you both. Thank you. It's been a uh, pleasure. Look forward to doing it again. Thanks. Trey. Thanks, T. And that's it for us, Dan. I mean, we, we touched on some market stuff. We wanted to get Travis on in a special Friday drop. By the way, Monday noon, you want to tell the folks, I know we have the slide ready to drop. Just Serious so can... XM radio guy. You and I will be live in studio. Um, we're really excited about that. Um, and, you know, we're going to be taking your calls. What's that number there, guy? 844-942-7866. Apparently it's like 844 Wharton or something. Just so you guys know. 
guy is already thinking about what the songs are. hundred percent. I know. I know you're working on that. We're going to, that. So we'll have a little rock and roll. We'll probably have a little sports talk. We'll have a lot going on. Hey guy, I just wanted to hit you. Just one thing. We started the show talking about the potential for, you know, quarter end marks, that sort of stuff. Um, How do you feel like on a, on a, on a a summer Friday, it is summer, um, you know, um, you know, it, it, it like doesn't have a great feel to it, but the, the ability for the market to turn around the way it did yesterday, but was that all led by the big names again? Are we seeing that kind of breath narrative maybe fall out a little bit? That's the, that's the one thing that I think about as, is, as let's just say we closed right here, okay, in, in quarter end. And as we get into July, we know that we're going to have Q2 earnings season. Q3, um, you know, guidance is going to be out here. I just feel like, if you've just enjoyed a lot of the gains in a much hated rally by no. much, like, like it just makes sense in front of Q2 earnings to maybe take your foot off the pedal a little bit. I don't know. What uh, do you think? Listen, I agree with that. But then full disclosure, um, I would have said that last quarter as well. And that would have been wrong. I, you know, so it's not, we're not, I'm not trying to duck your question. Your question is yeah. exactly the right one, but it's been a difficult environment. Um, for the last few months, for sure, to try to navigate, unless you just sort of decided you're going to put money on all these stocks that have effectively gone parabolic. The question I think you have to ask yourself and think about over the weekend are devaluations make sense in this environment? And I think you're going to come more and more people are going to start talking about valuations and how, in a slowing growth environment, not just here, but globally, you look at global PMIs all on the decline. How do you justify the valuation? How do you know? How do you justify paying this a dollar for this amount? You know, for multiple of a dollar for the earnings environment that we find ourselves in. It doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to me, and we'll see. But to your point, could we see sort of that you know that levitation next week in the quarter end month end? Yeah, for sure. Um, would it be a, would it signal a more potentially bearish outcome in July? Probably, but. You know, that's what, as they say, Dan, that's what makes markets. That's what makes markets. Guy, I'm just going to make a little bit of a prediction here. I think oh, I like in, predictions. I think in the NASDAQ, we are going to have a down 4% day in the next two weeks. Good. I think that, like, I, I mean, mean put some fear back in the market. We're going to have a VIX back in the high teens, that sort of thing, or mid to high teens ish, 16, 17, something like that. I just think that that is actually one of the most healthy things, especially after this rally over the last two months has just come unchecked. So that's the way I'm playing for it. All I right. Agree with- that's it. I want to thank Travis McGee. Travis is the man. Crypto.com, head of derivatives in North America. Thank you, T. Obviously, fact set, financial data, and analytics powered by tomorrow. Our podcast, the On The Tape podcast, dropped earlier today. We named wow. that deja, deja Vu all over again. And a conversation with Dan Greenhouse. We got a lot of shit going on, as they say. Yeah, we do, man. Well, it was fun, guy. I uh, hope you enjoy the weekend. You digest. Well, I'm going to be on CNBC's graph. Fast Money tonight in four and a oh. half hours, so I ain't oh. done yet. I will not be. <laughs> Have a great show, man. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on Friday.